You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It is a Thursday edition of Birds 365 with your Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald. Here to hang with you for the next couple hours. Got two guests, good guests coming your way. Uh, we told you earlier in the week that we were going to try and touch down on the opposition. And when I say that, I mean the three other teams in the division with the Eagles. We did a cowboy spot with John Mishota earlier in the week. Uh, we're going to get Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan down in D.C. up to join us later in this show to tell us how Carson Wentz is going to answer all the problems for the commanders in the national, uh, our nation's capital. Good luck with that, Grant. Uh, we'll punch him up a little bit later. And our bud, Kevin Kincaid from uh, Crossing Broad, is going to hop aboard about 20 minutes down the road. But first things first, um, putting together the show sheet for today, Usarian steps aside, uh, Todd Bowles steps in as the coach, some pretty big news around the league. And then I happened to flip on Sports Illustrated's coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles. And there staring me in the face is John McMullen's latest mock draft. It's like a week old, Jody. Come on. Is it a week old? How did I not see it till today? I don't know. Uh, March 25th. I just pulled it up. March 25th. Okay. Well, what's today? Today's March 31st. Last day of March. All right. right. It's five days old. Shame on me for not seeing it uh, earlier. Um, But I got to tell you, J-Mac. Went over well, by the way. Can I say that? If you uh, can honestly say that, that would be great. Um, I love, flat out love, rounds two through five. I'll be honest with you, I don't really know the players who you had going in the sixth round. But two through five, I absolutely love your picks. What the hell were you doing in the first round? If those are the three picks the Philadelphia Eagles make, I guarantee you, the pitchforks out at... Lincoln Financial Field, if that's what the Eagles walk away with in the first round at those positions, 15, 16, 19. Now, there's a very good chance they won't be making their picks there. we got to wait till draft day. But when you do your mock, you have to keep it as is when you do it. So the Eagles are slated to pick at 15, 16, and 19. They can't get those three players. They, they, they'll burn the house down. Um, <clears throat> well, a couple things. One, uh I always say you have to read my mock drafts to understand them. So that eliminates 99% of the people because they like to just look at the names and rant and rave. Um, two, I don't do my mock draft. I do what the I think the Eagles are thinking. Um, three, I, I, uh, I don't care if fans like it. I mean, I'm not trying to satiate the fan base i'm trying to project as best i can is what i think the eagles are going to do is what i'm trying to say so i i there's two players in there that people will hate and i knew it i told ed kratz i said you handle the hate mail on this um and i'll i'll just you know ignore the people um the first pick makes complete sense to me and that's trent mcduffie and i'm i'm very confident they're going to take a corner um, and, and it comes down to, 
you know, I'm a gardener. I think it's the best corner of the draft. I don't think they're going to be in a position to uh, get them. And then you start to think about, you know, Stingley might have a little bit of a better upside, but I think McDuffie's more ready to plug in, play right away. Uh, bigger floor, as they say. So I, I don't think that one's all that controversial. The controversial ones are 16 and 19. Now, if, if, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, 16, let's take them in order. 16, I took Travis Jones, the big kid from UConn, the defensive tackle, for a couple reasons. One, I've been told this is the type of player the Eagles want. So if they can get Jordan Davis – they could they would want Jordan Davis, but I don't think that's possible anymore any longer. I don't think that's realistic. So the second best zero technique, one technique, essentially nose tackle is Travis Jones. Now, would they prefer now a lot of people have him in the second round? He's going in the first round. Again, NFL people are different than than uh social media draft people. I'm pretty confident he's going in the first round. Would they prefer to trade down to get him? Yes. Can they trade down to get him? I don't know. So that's part of it. And then the third pick, I haven't taken Sam Howell, but again, there's no way they're taking him at 19. I think they're trying to go way down, probably in the 30, 31 range. Or 32 would be best case scenario. But you want to stay in the first round to have that fifth-year option for a quarterback. And I talk about that show on, on the show all the time, almost every day. I think the Eagles in that, are in that phase of they're looking ahead. They don't want to pay $35 million unless they, they have a star quarterback. They went through this with Carson Wentz. They want to have the safety net. They want to make sure they can roll it over. And this is not to necessarily start for this year, this is to keep rolling it over and make sure they have somebody in the holster. And that's sort of the luxury of the third round picks. And I think they like Sam Howell. I think they like Sam Howell. Um, so that's the explanation of it. And yes, I knew it would not be popular, Jerry. I just need to run it down for the people. I mean, they just easily go to uh, SI Eagles. What's, how do you get to the domain again? You SI.com backslash NFL backslash Eagles. Backslash Eagles. Gotcha. I, for uh, conversational purposes, people are streamed in on a computer with us. They might not uh, be able to flip off and go to yours. Um, I'm just going to run it down quickly for the people. The three first-round picks said McDuffie, cornerback of 15, uh, Travis Jones, DT at 16, Sam Howell, number three at 19, second round, uh, Christian Watson, the big wide receiver from North Dakota State, even though the last time we went to the Dakotas, it didn't work out too well. Yeah, by the no way, th this is, as I said, it's five days old. And those five days, I don't think there's any way Christian Watson lasts to 51. Yeah. So there you they're, go. They're, they're, you might go in the first oh, round. I, I'm going to look at all of your picks like that. If these guys are available at that spot that you have them going in, they're steals. That's why I love round two. Through round five. Uh, third round, you've got him taking Jalen Petrie, safety from Baylor. No way he stays to the third round. I, yeah, I think he's he... probably, I think he's uh, getting too much uh, 
too much hype. You're you're probably right, but I don't think he's a first round pick. I think yeah, he's more. I think he's a high second at the least, and he might sneak into the bottom of the first. Yeah, you know safeties in this league. Uh, you got a point there. Tight end Charlie Kohler from Iowa State in the fourth round. Again, he might be the third best tight end in this draft. You get in the third best tight end in the fourth round. That's a hell of a steal and a hell of a pick. And in the fifth round, Hassan Hoskins from Michigan is absolutely one of the best backs in the draft, and you're getting him in round five. That's tremendous value. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, you're right already. I think, you know, I lowballed Watson and Petrie. Uh, Kohler, I mean, yeah, he could be there in the fourth round. Haskins, nobody cares about running backs. How many times? No, they don't. But that's a hell of a pick if they get him in the fifth round. And they're going to get a big back in in on day three. They're going to get a big back on day three because nobody's drafting him. Uh, And they're you know they're going to try to replace Jordan Howard on day three. And if they don't get the right player, um, then they'll just bring him back on a one-year deal because nobody has any ever has any interest in Jordan Howard because he's more valuable to this team than any other. Probably. Um, so they'll just wait and see if the right player is there for him on day three. And if they get him, they get him, and Jordan's out the door. If they don't, they'll probably just bring Jordan Howard back. But um, – I mean, I hear what you're saying about Kohler in that, you know, there's not many tight ends to draft. So if you're desperately needing a tight end, you might overdraft a tight end. But I will say, I think he's a fourth round talent. I don't think he belongs anywhere above that. Uh, Petrie is more because I I think safeties always get pushed down the board. uh, But I probably, and Watson is coming up late. I mean, Watson, you know, when I first did this on March 25th, people yelled at me for Watson saying they can't take that kid at 51. Now he's not even going to be there at 51. So that's how quick things change. And by the way, this is all just because somebody on Twitter says it doesn't mean he's not going to last at 51. I don't know what I know. We don't know anything John, until we get there. That's what I mean. It's all prognostication and, and educated guessing. Yeah. Well, my my only point is, you know, you hear that term raising and going up the board, and I use it too. I'm guilty of it too. Well, all that means from a reporter standpoint is we're gathering more information. Like nobody, nobody in the NFL is raising somebody up from the fourth round to the second round, like Christian Watson, because they just found him out. Like you're, people are just finding out that they like him better, right? than people thought and he was always in that range and we'll see where he ends up but he to me he'd be a perfect fit for the eagles agreed uh but here is one thing i do need to point out as i go through your mock draft uh first pick a cornerback second pick a defensive tackle third pick a quarterback fourth pick a wide receiver in the second round uh, safety in the third round tight end in the fourth round Fifth round, running back, Hassan Hoskins. Second fifth round pick, another safety, Yusuf Corker from Kentucky. Another fifth rounder, linebacker Ellis Brooks from Penn State. In the sixth round, the Eagles take Dominique Robinson from Miami of Ohio, an edge rusher. Didn't we, over the last however many days, it's Derek Barnett re-signed 
debate whether the signing of Derek Barnett would have any impact on whether the Eagles got an impact pass rusher, edge player in the upcoming draft. You've got them waiting till the sixth round to take their first edge rusher. Yeah, Does but that I... mean we're going to be seeing significant action out of Derek Barnett? You're okay with the signing. I wanted no part of it. I don't care how cheap it is because he's going to take away from snaps of a younger guy. Oh, okay. Unless they've already decided, like John McMullen, doing a mock draft, trying to project what the Eagles are going to do, says, nah, we don't need to take an edge guy till the sixth round. Yeah, but uh, the, see, that's not how I think about it, Jody. It, it, my thought and I'll take you through the entire process. Go ahead. Um, and I've said this on the show. I don't think one of the top five is going to be there. So when I got down to 51, uh, top five, but when I say top five, I'm talking about, you know, the players, Hutchinson, yeah. Thibodeau, Walker, Johnson, Karloptis. I don't think any of them are going to be there at 15. So, I go in a different direction at the top of the draft. Now, when I got to the second round pick, I'm thinking, well, I want a job. That's where I was going to take a job. And I'm talking to people and I don't think he's going to be there. So, I mean, are they going to trade up? Maybe they're going to trade up. Then I was thinking about the kid from Minnesota that we talked a little about yesterday, Mafe, Boye Mafe. And now I'm hearing he's probably not going to be there at 51. So it's not a decision to avoid the position is that if I can't get one of the top seven, I don't care, and you're sort of pigeonholed, and you're trying to get the the best players available. Um, There are 31 other teams. You know, you're rarely going to get what you want at the position you wanted. And I realize a lot of people don't do mock drafts that way. This is what they go, they need an edge rusher. I'm going to take an edge rusher in the second round. I try. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I I wanted a job. A job would be my first choice at 51. I just don't think he's going to be there. So that's how I do these things. And I appreciate the way you do it. You probably put more thought into it than other guys. Who, you're right. Just fill needs for teams and assume that they're going to be there and they may not. But here's my point. If they are on the board in the first round, they've got more capital than anybody else. And they're believing, like John McMullen does, all five of the best edge pass rushers are going to be off the board in the first 15 picks. We'll then go up and get one. Well, that's what I said. They're probably going to trade up and trade down. And that's why I say nobody pays attention to the contact. Like everybody says Sam Howell. Look, I don't know who's who they're going to trade with because I, I don't know if anybody wants to come up from 30, 31, 32. I don't know what they want to come up from 30, 31, 32. But I think if the Eagles could get a quarterback at 30, 31, 32, I think they might pull the trigger to have that fifth-year option. How they get there, other people try to do that stuff. That I need 17 hours to try to figure out which teams <laughs> want to come up and which teams would be a possibility and hop in. So ultimately, and that's the context, ultimately I think they're going to trade up with the first pick and trade back with the third pick, or that's what they want to do. And they might trade up. They might see, let's say Johnson goes off the board at 11, you know, just for sake of argument. I don't even know who's at 11. I don't have it in front of me. But um, let's say he goes off the board. 
And then all you have between you and 15 and Karloftis, that's it. That's it. He's the last guy. You might have to do the Devontae Smith trade. The Eagles only went up two spots last year to get Devontae Smith. They might have to do that. They might do that. Um, I would say they better do that. Um, I, I, But I think you're trying to get me on, like, they're making a conscious decision because of my mock draft not to go at defensive end because of Derek Barnett. That's not why I didn't go at defensive end, because I can't find the path to a defensive end that I care about. And that would be the, 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 the five we talked about, plus David Ojabo, who's injured. But I don't think that injury is going to topple him all the way down to 51. 51, right. And Boye Mafe, who, you know, some people will say he doesn't deserve to go at 51. I think NFL people think he's going to go above 51. Um, so at that point, I don't know. I'm not as excited about the other guys. I understand exactly your line of logic and the way you laid it out. It makes a lot of sense. Find the path. Create the path. They need a young, pass-rushing, edge defensive end, and that's Howie Roseman's job. He's more equipped to do it than anyone else in the draft at that spot because, yes, the Giants and the Giants and Jets both have two first-round picks, but they'll both be done by pick number 10. You need to get somewhere in the early pre-teens, 11 and 12. Howie, you've got the ammunition to get it done, get it done with an edge pass rusher because I'm telling you, Johnny Mack, I'm going to be sitting here on the month, uh, the Friday after draft going, and the Eagles walked away from uh, the draft with what pass rusher? Oh, shoot, McMullen was right. They didn't take a pass rusher until the sixth round. That means a whole lot of Derek Brown Barnett again this upcoming year. That's your well, job, I, Howie. I, I, I would it think, doesn't happen. Man, this is just a hunch. Um but I would think if they're going to go up with that 15th pick to get, um, you know, a Karloptis or a, or it could be Johnson, um, I think they would more likely be going up to get Davis because I think they want that position so badly. Um, I think that would be the more likely splash to go up right but i've seen mock drafts that have davis going two or three now yeah i know well you see walker too so it kind of depends like you know is walker going to (laughs) because if walker's going to davis isn't going to is malik willis going to so i mean you know everything there's people in detroit threatening to throw themselves off buildings if they take malik willis at two uh they might take him at two all right, I gotta, crazy give you one more, I gotta give you one more quickie before we go to our first break and bring up Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. Uh speaking of mocks or your mocks or a couple other mocks. Bucky Brooks, you know him from the NFL network, yeah, Sunny, yeah. Uh, network and NFL.com. He put his latest one up. Um how many quarterbacks do you think he's got going in the first round? Uh three. I'm no. Guess. Take another guess. Uh four. Uh-uh. Try again. Uh, is he going crazy? I I can't imagine he's going five, so he's going two then. No. What's he got? None. None? Zero I, quarterbacks in the first round. I, I like I like Bucky a lot, but that's that's not happening. I 
don't necessarily agree with him either, but he had none. And then because of that, if no quarterbacks are being taken, the kind of scenario that you're laying out there, all those defensive ends are gone. The Eagles want a defense. Sorry, the top five. Yeah, you better hope some quarterbacks go. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that, you're right. Those five are definitely gone if no quarterbacks go. He had uh, the Eagles taking the other cornerback from Washington, not McDuffie. Uh, Gardner? Had no, so, so, uh, who's the other quarterback? I have to look. Gardner. He's got he's got him going in the first round. Oh, to the Eagles at number sixteen. Uh yeah. I and, I, and at number nineteen, the Eagles taking Tyler Lindenbaum, your favorite. No, the next generation's Jason Kelly. Well, uh, Jason, Kelsey, look, excuse me. The, these things are what they are, Jody. But you know, national guys don't tend to take a look at the local level, and they can't. I mean, they're too you know they're too busy. Um. Yeah, those those picks don't make sense. And just but, the just the flip side, Kevin Kincaid's going to join us here in just coming up a se- in just a second. Chad Reuter, do you know him? Yeah, he's an NFL.com guy. Right. Uh, just the flip side, it his draft. How many quarterbacks you think he had going in the first round? Four, <laughs> five, five. And guess what? Yeah. All five of them in the top fifteen picks. So uh, his- Chad Chad is closer to right than Bucky would be by uh, prediction. We, we shall see. Uh, but because of that, he had Sauce Gardner falling to the Eagles at 15. You can only be so lucky. And uh, uh, Jeremiah Johnson going to the uh, Eagles at 16 because so many quarterbacks were up at the top. He's pushing guys down, and the Eagles get two immediate starters to step in. Well, Chances that would be, that would be the best. Somewhere in the middle. That would be the best case scenario. Yeah, I got, I got, I, I was just like, I had to look up Kyler Gordon from Washington. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, there's some people who like him, but oof. you talk about my draft not going over well. That wouldn't go up over well. Oh, uh, but the, the the season to be mocking. La 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 la. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, Quickie Time Out, Kevin Kincaid, Quantum Broad joins us next here on Bird. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say. 
We got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Mac and Mac guys, feel free to like, share, and subscribe. And you will definitely be doing that after our next 20 minutes, which we spend with our bud, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. All right, what's that T-shirt say? What's that sweatshirt say? Now we got Stone Temple Pilots today. Very cool. Yeah, STP. You guys know I'm always trying to represent the local, uh, well, not local, but... uh, Hard I was rock. Say, and that's local. Yeah. Heavy uh, metal. Hard. And I I actually I, I just I got my SDP voice. Seattle guys? Are they part of the Seattle? Run? No, they were they were California, actually, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah, but I uh, I just got my voice back because I was at the Judas Priest show in Philly <laughs> on Tuesday and I lost my voice. That'll um, take it away from Judas but Priest. It, it is sounds still, good. Wait, it where sounds does deep. Play? Yeah. Your backyard? No, they played at the Met. They're still touring, Jody. They're uh Rob Halford is 70 years old. He's still wow. out there. Uh, they have a guitar player who's 74 years old, and he has—he uh, actually has Parkinson's disease, believe it or not. But when he's fe- when he's feeling good, like when he has a good day or whatever, they bring him out, and he does like the encore with him. So he does like three or four songs, and he's up there at 74 years old, still playing. So that's yeah. uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, he came out Man. in Philly. It was a good crowd. I mean, it's like it's. Uh, Hey, what's what's the alternative? You can either go up there and play heavy metal tunes at age seventy four. You can sit on your couch and watch TV. Man, so you know. I always love you know almost almost famous one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah, the Jimmy Jimmy Fallon scene when he's trying to sign the band, and he says nobody wants to be Mick Jagger up there at sixty <laughs> <laughs> rock stars. Now everybody's doing it. I know. Hey, yeah. more power to him. You know, I yeah. I just hope when I get to that age, I'm still able to even pick up a guitar, let alone play it. Um, you know, with any uh you know, with any kind of skill, you know, so it was, it was just fun. I think I think I've seen them like nine or 10 times. I was, I was born 10 years too late. Cause I missed their prime. So I got to see them now, you know, I was going to say, I said, I think I saw them in the eighties. So uh, that's why I'm <laughs> yeah. a little surprised. It's still rocking the way they are. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple of Eagle guys rocking this week. Opinions. That would be Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Laurie, Nick Sirianni. Uh, your website does a great job of allowing people to uh, go back and forth. And I think your site has a pretty good feel uh, finger on the pulse of the Philly fans. Some of them are going to just hate whatever Howie Roseman says, or for the lesser part, uh, Jeff Flory says, what did you, how do you think their stances on the Eagles and uh, what their comments were and or explanations were for their off season so far this year? How do you think it went over with Eagle nation? 
I mean, I think it went over fine. I don't think there was anything groundbreaking that was said. Um, I had to do a double take. I think I spit out my coffee when I heard Nick Sirianni talking about how Derek Barnett is such a high IQ football player and just a tough guy and a guy that he loves, you know. Because, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Nick Sirianni was seen on camera saying, it's always him. Yeah, he created that problem. Nick. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I, it's just no, funny. No, 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 hold on. Derek Barnett created that problem by continually getting penalties. Well, yeah, no, I, I just I just think it's funny. You know, yeah. I don't expect that. I, I'm glad that Nick Sirianni has learned the art of coach speak, you know, uh, a year into it now and uh, knows how to just fib in front of a camera. But it made me laugh nonetheless. I, you know, I think probably if you go through Howie and uh, – and uh, Jeffrey Lurie and Nick Sirianni this week. I think my biggest takeaways are probably from Jeffrey Lurie for sure. I think probably the most intriguing set of quotes is probably that uh, you know that conversation about how involved Jeffrey Lurie is. And uh, there was the John. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he just kind of segued naturally into talking about like the JJ Arcega Whiteside pick yeah, and like, he hey, did. you guys accused me of like influencing that or something, and I didn't. Yeah. Um, but the fascinating thing about that quote was. Uh, you know, he talks about how there was a tie uh, between J.J. and, I guess, Paris Campbell Paris was the other Campbell, guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Lurie says they looked at me and said, who do you want? You yeah. know, but he used the word flippantly when he said that. Right. So you can kind of try to interpret that how you will. But still, he's saying that they turned to him and said, who do you want? Yeah. So, well, what yeah. what's ironic about Jeff is and I, man, I think it's true, by the way, I think he doesn't realize like he is. He, he's always been a guy who asks questions. He says that for years and years and years. Like yeah. that's my job to ask questions, to 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 push them. And but he doesn't seem to realize that as the owner of the team, that comes loaded, right? Like when somebody's mm -hmm. making a suggestion, and he's the owner of the team, and he kind of explained in himself how he wanted Paris Campbell, and Jeffrey kind of leaned towards JJ. And Howie, who put the gavel down, said J.J., but he wanted Paris Campbell. So he kind of contradicted yeah. himself, which he always does. But I think it's he honestly doesn't realize how impactful his suggestions or questions are. And we can go back to, for instance, I'll give you another example, Doug Peterson in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. So when Doug Peterson upsets, wins a game, he's not supposed to win against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, yeah. but he does it running the football. Right, yeah. And the owners got him in there on Tuesday. God forbid. Yeah, saying, well, why didn't we pass? You know, to Doug, that's like, well, what, what, what's the problem here? But Jeffrey's yeah. like, oh, da-da-da. That, I think, is the bigger problem. And yeah, I don't maybe, know how you fix that. Maybe he doesn't realize that his words carry more weight than everybody else's words because he's yeah. the boss. Yeah. You know, he's the owner. Like, you know, it's like somebody's, if somebody, if he puts in his opinion and he thinks it's all like a, like a, uh, um, like he's the same level as Brandon Brown or Ian Cunningham, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a committee no approach. We're all going to yeah. share opinions and everybody's opinion is weighted equally. His opinion's not weighted equally because he's yeah. the damn owner of the team, you know? So then yeah. somebody below him is going to have to have the guts to say, no, I'm going to divert from what the owner wants to do and do my own thing instead. You know, you see like examples of that. In, in every industry, of course, like even at like Crossing Broad, you know, Kyle is not Kyle's the founder of the site. Um, he's mostly on the money making business side of it now. He doesn't write anymore, but, you know, he'll pop up every so often to say, hey, you know, maybe we do this or something. Right. You know, um, 
he's the founder of the site, you know, if he created the site, if he wants to do that, yeah, let's do it. You know, like I'm, I'm always going to defer. You're always going to defer uh, in, in some way to the people who are above you. And um, I think the question then to kind of like extend it and push the, the topic forward is, you know, what is the extent of the involvement? I think we always have kind of a skewed understanding of Jeffrey Lurie's involvement, probably because we don't see him that often and we don't hear from him that often. You know, I think he hadn't spoken since last January. Right. So that's 13, 14 yeah. months or something. And, right? You know, the pandemic and, yeah. you know, that affected things typically talks twice a year. Yeah, but then like Jerry Jones, you see Jerry Jones in the locker room after every game and he's willing to talk to anybody, puts a camera in front of him, you know, so but so but that gives off the impression right or wrong that he's more involved and he's more hands on. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but he's just in front of the cameras more. So we get this kind of impression that he like his hands are on everything in the Cowboys organization. It could very well be the same thing for Jeffrey Lurie. We just don't know because we don't see as much of him, you know, here's uh, the next question. Um, you, I, I like the way you phrased it, uh, challenge the owner or, uh, uh, you were describing someone, uh, trying to, uh, again, if you can help me out, Kevin, you, you used a great phrase and I can't remember what it was. Oh but, man. I wish I could remember too. Yeah, it, was, it was a minute and a half ago and neither yeah. one of us can remember. Let that's me drink some more, some more coffee. <laughs> that, that's not good for either one of us, but you get my drift challenge or call on the carpet or whatever else. Let's jettison ahead 15 years from now. In 2037, the new CEO of the Philadelphia Eagles is Julian Laurie. Yeah. But Jeff's still around. And Jeff's uh, in his 80s. And Jeff is still uh, showing up at Lincoln Financial Field, if they haven't built a new stadium by then. Um, is is Jeff's son going to be the one who's finally going to say, yo, Pops, not happening. Back off. <laughs> You put me in charge for a reason here, uh, old man. Is that going to happen 15 years from now? I hope so. The funny thing is that, like, uh, you know, it makes me think of the Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones dynamic, you know. And I think because we would all agree that that Jeffrey Lurie is kind of a well-spoken and pragmatic individual in front of the cameras, that it's kind of hard to to think of him as being a guy who's kind of, like, steering things behind the scenes. You know, those two ideas just don't really mesh. You know, for somebody who's so articulate and well-spoken and, and thoughtful in the way that he talks in front of the media, you just say to yourself, like, I'll show you this guy is not like manipulative behind the scenes, but I don't know. He could be worse than Jerry Jones for all, for all we know, you yeah. know? So it's interesting, the dynamic of him, you know, passing the team along to a, a family member. And I, the funny thing maybe is Howie Roseman's still going to be the GM in 20 years. Perhaps they love him that much, you know, but to go back to what Jody was saying earlier about like challenging the owner, I mean, Howie's his guy, you know, he's been his guy for forever. We know that Howie ain't going anywhere. So like if Howie, the, the positive side of that is that Howie should feel comfortable challenging him or asserting his authority. Like, hey, you've believed in me for all these years. I'm telling you that player X is better than player Y if we have a tiebreaker here at pick number 16. You know, Jeffrey Lurie spoke last year on the record about not necessarily being the decider for individual player decisions, but more <clears> of like <throat> this macro level overseer of like, hey, are we following our process right? You know, did we do our due diligence on all these guys? Did we study the film on all these guys? Did we send our scouts to all these places? You know, so that's always what he's maintained. That's like, I'm the overseer. I'm like the umbrella. I'm the layer of making sure the player personnel executives are do following everything that they set up and they can make the picks from there. But I, who knows if, if that's that's really the case or not. Yeah. But, and by the way, Kevin, that's sort of like throughout the NFL, the Eagles tend to be sort of one of the trendsetters when it comes to front office. <laughs> and we saw it this offseason, um, whether it's Ian Cunningham or Brandon Brown getting hired, Catherine Race getting interviews. The Eagles are well thought of around the league 
And you see a lot of teams, if you listen to their owners, they'll talk about the process and they'll talk about collaboration and everybody making decisions together. Ultimately, and you just mentioned a crossing broad, broad uh, with Kyle, uh, you know, somebody's got to make a decision at some point. What, it, what I mean, yeah. what? why does this league and the Philadelphia Eagles, I would say they're one of the forefront teams when it comes to this sentiment, why do they have such a problem saying, okay, this guy's got final say, this guy's got final say. We all try to gather the information, but somebody somewhere has to make a decision. And here in Felt Up, we're always going, oh, is that a Howie pick? Was that a Chip pick? Yeah. Was that a Doug pick? Was that a, you know, we saw it with Jonathan Gannon and, and Tom Donahoe live. You know? Well, and we saw it with, uh, you know, Daryl Morey said all the same things when he came in to take over the Sixers. It's going to be a collaborative effort. Me and Elton Brand, you know, ownership's going to share their ideas. Everybody's going to, you know, throw their ideas into the pool. I mean, whose idea do you think it was to trade for James Harden? You know, yeah, so yeah, like well, at the top there, there does need to be that person yeah. for sure. So, so you can say all you want about a collaborative effort. You can make people feel like they're involved in the process and you can take all ideas into consideration. That may just be window dressing for somebody who's got their mind made up already, you know, making people feel welcome, letting them be a part of the process, let them flourish, make it feel like there's an inclusion there, even if there's not. Um, maybe you foster some new ideas, maybe you come up with, with some things along the way, but there's always there always has to be a person at the, at the, the very top. You know, of, of course, there has to be there's no. I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe this is not my forte here, but in no place in history was there like a democracy, for example, where we just like, let's just all vote on it. And then we'll <laughs> execute it as like a town of like 5,000 yeah. people. Like there's yeah. a mayor, there's a controller, you know, there's an animal <laughs> services guy. Like you have to have, like you, you do have to have, have these things, you know? So it's, it's more of like, I think what you have in this day and age is like, everybody loves these buzzwords. these like flighty buzzwords, yes, of like they do. collaboration. And it's going to be like, you know, open concept office and you know we're going to have verticality right and i would apply like, for the i would apply for the animal services job because yeah. I, I love animals if yeah. the eagles are in need i can uh, every day after 10 o'clock when i finish with mcmullen i can get down there and take care of the dogs yeah. uh i right, kk a uh, two-point question yesterday malcolm jenkins announced his official retirement he was one of the most productive Philadelphia Eagle players for the better part of a decade and also one of the more popular Philadelphia Eagle players as well. He should be for the way that he not only handled his business on the field, but off the field and all his charitable works as well. Two-parter. Number one, if it's a yes, you answer. got to answer number two. Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame, the actual Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Malcolm Jenkins, JNA. Man, it's hard to say no. I mean, I'm leaning yes. You can make a case that Malcolm Jenkins was the best free agent signing in Philadelphia Eagles history. You He's know, up there. right? Up I mean, there. I don't. I don't think the list. You know, when you look at, I guess the value. You know, depends on how much you weight a Super Bowl, which I weight very heavily for sure. You know, yeah. um, he wasn't. He was only here for six years. I mean, six years is a long time in the NFL for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just love Malcolm Jenkins. I thought his impact that he had with the social justice stuff was was much more significant than anybody else in the NFL because I always appreciated how I felt like uh, he was talking to me, like talking with me instead of talking at me. I always felt like he was very good at communicating those ideas to people who may not otherwise care. Um, his off-field work speaks for itself. You put him in the Eagles Hall of Fame just for the off-field work, you know? I don't know if that's a, a thing, but I would. Um, but no, and I, I just, I just, you know, you love his his – 
durability and his commitment to to being on the field and and being a leader um his flexibility too as a player you know to be able to get down in the box do a variety of different things in coverage tackle um i mean i think it's hard to, to find a, a better player who was i don't know who if you give you give me the mvp of the 2017 super bowl team you make a case for anybody other than malcolm jenkins um, I think it was the leader of their defense. I think the MVP of the team, and this is going to upset people, was Carson Wentz. Um, yeah. And I don't think they're in a position, Jeffrey kind of talked about that. He's, they're not in a position to win the Super Bowl. Then as they get into the position with the number one seed, then I think Nick Foles is the MVP in the run, in the yeah. actual run. But I do think he was the leader of the defense. And then you talk about Brandon making the strip sack, but you know, they it was such up. a team. I mean, it was, it's, yeah, it's it was funny to even effort. think about yeah. that because it was yeah. such a team performance. It's almost like goes against the whole theme of that season yeah. to try to pick out one individual to, to be the guy. But look, Malcolm is an all time great Eagle. Yeah. Jody, we, we got this news at the end of the show yesterday. I don't think he's a pro football hall. Of, that's a tough bar. He made three pro bowls. You generally have to make a ton of all pro teams. Very yeah. good player, but what you said, Kevin, his versatility yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I mean, Jim Swartz said, and I put the quote up on Twitter, um, he played seven different positions. He played every yeah. single position on the back end at one point. And I remember when Miami had Minka Fitzpatrick, and they wanted to turn him in to a Malcolm Jenkins-type player. They even used the word as just this Swiss army knife moving part. And Mick is like, I don't want to do all that. And, yeah. and then trade the Pittsburgh. I mean, to learn every position. He's one of the highest football IQ players I've ever he known, is. I've ever known. It's and funny that they no, I mean, it's it's, it, it's funny you say that about the versatility too, because the two guys that the Eagles went the two biggest free agent signings that they made this year are both versatile kind of players who are little bit of like tweener hybrid kind of dudes who can do yeah. a lot of different stuff. Hassan Reddick is Hassan Reddick. Love the signing for sure. Um, you know, Kaiser White, I had, I had the opportunity to watch because he's a West Virginia guy. So I saw him during his whole, um, you know, his whole college career and, and watched his transition from, you know, like hybrid spur safety into NFL linebacker. And he can do a lot of different stuff too. He's not, he doesn't play the same position as Malcolm Jenkins, but he can do in college. He was doing stuff. He would get down on the line. He would drop into coverage you know, he'd play off-ball linebacker, do a lot of different things in that, like, you know, we played that, like, 3-3-5 kind of weird stack that a lot of college teams play where you sort of have that, like, tweener linebacker safety or linebacker edge, like, Jannard Avery kind of player, you know? So I think it's telling that they're – that they've found two guys who are sort of in-between kind of dudes that they can do a lot of different stuff with. Jonathan Gannon, for all we all we talk about him sitting in the, the cover two shell last year, in the second half of the season when you watch a lot of those third-down, like, sub-packages – you know, he was mixing and matching, doing a lot of different stuff. You know, they had that lineup that they liked where they put like Javon Hargrave in as like a fake nose tackle. They'd have yeah. Fletcher Cox yeah. like lined up as like a three, four, like tackle. Um, they'd have Josh Sweat at the other side. And then they put like Avery and Patrick Johnson on there. And so you have like tweeners where you don't really know who's going, who's coming. They can do yeah. a lot of that stuff with Kaiser and with Hassan too at the same time. I think there's a lot of like mix and match ability, which is not a word, but there's, there's flex to kind of show different things with that. So I, I thought it was, it was interesting that they pursued both of those guys. Matchability. I think that's a phrase used in a Judas Priest song, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, I take a, um, a Eagles beat writer who will remain quasi nameless, John McMullen. 
uh, did a mock draft and he had the Eagles taking Sam Howell this year. Um, Ooh. I'm not a big Sam Howell fan, so I hope that's not the case. I hope context trading down to right in the context trading down, time. but as a first round draft pick. So I don't give a you know what if he goes at number 19 or number 31, he's going to be a quarterback who's going to come in. And the undertow will start. Those that are not Jalen Hurts fans, get Howlin. Get Howlin. We got to play mm-hmm. Howl. Why isn't Howl playing? Jalen Hurts is taking us nowhere. We need to move on from Jalen Hurts. Did the Eagles want to go there with any quarterback in this draft? Did it want to open up the second guessing door for the uh, replacement of Jalen Hurts? Or do they say, this quarterback class is not that good if we've made this commitment to Jalen we might as well make it a commitment and not worry about taking a first round quarterback which way does it happen on draft night I think there's some truth to that for sure um I think as a general rule of uh rule of engagement for Eagles fans they would probably call for the backup quarterback whoever it is you know if it's uh Gardner Gardner, yeah 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 yeah. you know what I mean so I think that's going to happen no matter what but I mean to Jody's point it's like do are you creating another Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts situation if you if you emphasize the if you use a high draft pick on somebody like that are you creating an issue to me it seems like you know whatever foray they had into pursuing any of these guys via trade or free agency or whatever that petered out it seems like they're stuck in like a let's see what Jalen Hurts has kind of year I don't know what year comes after a transitional year we called last year a transitional like fact-finding mission what is what is next like a a building year you know so to me it's like stick with Jalen Hurts you're in this mold now see what you got with him keep adding pieces adding weapons get younger improve the defense, add another receiver if you can. I would I would be more I would find it more palatable if they and I don't think they're going to use all three first round draft picks, but if they went defense defense receiver or defense receiver defense something like that. If Devin Lloyd is there at 15 cool Drake London I think fits what they need for sure. Um if Sauce Gardner falls for sure, if Stingley falls for sure. I just I find it a little bit I don't know. I, I'm just not high on this quarterback class in general. So I think more, more so than anybody calling for the backup based off who they draft. I'm just I just don't think that would be a, a pick well. That I would I, do I, anyway. that, I'm going to throw out my thought process, Kevin. Uh, and a lot of people have heard it. You'll be the latest. Um, GMs obviously have to think about more than one year at a time. Uh, we see the cost of doing business at the quarterback position. As cost-effective as Jalen Hurts looks right now, he's eligible for an extension after this season. Yeah. If he puts up a similar season as he did last year, which was pretty good, you know, Pro Bowl alternate, solid, what's that going to cost? And the Eagles want to be in that purgatory where they're paying average, above-average quarterback $30 million because that's the baseline. Yeah. Or do you want to keep rolling it over and sort of have that college-like atmosphere where you have a guy for four or five years, and if he's not the guy, you just roll it over? Is the NFL shifting towards that? I think they might be. Yeah, it's funny because I still think the question uh, – you know, I think when I came on the show last year, we I gave you like this fake exercise that I was working on last year. It's like, you know, if we're using this year as a fact-finding mission, let's write out like 100 questions, right? And let's see how many we can answer at the end of the year. One that we didn't answer was the most important one, which is what you're doing with the quarterback, right? So to me, it's still a macro level philosophical thing. Like, can you win 
if you think that Jalen Hurts has kind of reached his ceiling as a passer, or he's never going to be that kind <laughs> of passer. If you make, if you build like a Baltimore Ravens 2.0 and make him a Lamar Jackson and build a running game and build a strong defense, can you win in the modern day NFL doing that? I don't mean nine games. I mean, like, can you be a Super Bowl contender doing that? I don't think that philosophically Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie think that you can be that, you know? So to me, if we're amending the question in fact finding year number two, the question we have to answer is can Jalen Hurts throw the ball? You know, that's that's to me, that's the biggest thing. Cause like you know what you can do is with his feet. It's not gonna last forever. You know, if he can't throw the ball any better this year than he did last year, then you move on. I mean, to me, that's the that's the the, the easiest determination right there. And we'll surely be able to find out if he can throw the ball because they've added Zach Pascal. And that's, <laughs> that's right. Give yeah. him weapons, surround answer, him with weapons. Answer that question precisely. Uh, again, uh, one thing that you have a lot of fun with on your side, KK, is stuff like the return of Kelly Green. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Mac doesn't care. He, he, he analyzes care. football. Doesn't matter. matter what uniform they're in. <laughs> I care a little bit more. I'm not as crazed as some yeah. Eagle fans, but <laughs> if you like the uniform better, it's added value. That's what you got to get when you go to a, a sporting event these days, right? Added value. You got to have dancers. You got to have halftime stuff. That's yeah. a big part of it. Well, Kelly Green has added value as far as I'm concerned. Again, uh, your 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 take and what you think Eagle Nation thinks of Jeff Lurie finally getting Kelly Green back on the back of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's funny. Most media guys don't care about like uniforms or colors or whatever because we don't purchase merchandise. Like we don't wear Eagles jerseys. Like back in yeah. the day, like you were never, the, the Beats were never supposed to wear Eagles gear, right? Or Sixers gear, or whatever. It was like an old fashioned thing. That's kind of changing a little bit. But I think Kelly Green's interesting because I think like for my generation, you know, if you're like a millennial or you were born in the 80s or the 90s or whatever, I think there's this association that Kelly Green came during a losing era of Eagles football and Midnight Green was when the Eagles were good. That's not necessarily true, right. but that's the association that you have based on what you ex your lived experience, right? So you know Andy Reid, Donovan McNabb, Jeremiah Trotter, Midnight Green as being one of the best eras of Eagles football. You think of the Buddy Ryan, Rich Co-type, Marion Campbell era as being the era of like your dad yelling at the TV, <laughs> right? So, but but anybody who's older than that, older Eagles fans know that the team was terrible in the late 60s and the early 70s and then the buddy ryan era was when they kind of turned a corner and got good again you know 10 wins 11 wins 10 wins even though they didn't have the you know the playoff victories to back it up but there's an association there that kelly green was kind of like people were clamoring to go back to like this loser era of eagles football which wasn't necessarily true but it was like a it became this like living in the past like why do you need that kind of thing like let's move forward right i think my generation i can't speak for anybody else but i think like millennials have have, have cooled on the kelly green or not cooled but they've they're uh you know more amenable to it now because the eagles won a super bowl and like it's a cool throwback thing and there's a lot of great players who wore kelly green reggie yeah. white you know clyde you know seth right so it's like it's 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 cool now you know why the hell not you know you need an alternate now they've been wearing midnight green for what 20 Eight twenty. Yeah. By the way, years. it's Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey or Christina that hated yeah. the Kelly Green to begin with. Right. And right. And turned right. it to the Midnight Green, and then he's out there saying, "Oh, we're working so hard to get it back." Well, you know who else loves it, John? You, you, the, the the players love it. The players love wearing different uniforms. The players love the black. Yeah, they uh, love the black. Jeffrey's you know, right. yeah. You, you tell me it. these these Oregon yeah. football players love the ten thousand oh, yeah. different combinations. I told Jody that. I'm surprised the NFL didn't change this rule years ago. I'm surprised they don't have eight different uniforms, one for every game, just yeah. as a money grab. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly surprised they haven't gotten to that point. I do want to, before you get out of here, I want to throw some chum in the water because I know your belief on overtime and the <laughs> NFL shifted overtime. I know Jody's belief. So I, Jody's a play some defense guy. Tell, mm. tell Jody McDonald why he's wrong, Kevin Kincaid. His defense and offense aren't equal. You know, and furthermore, well, look, we can end the argument right here by saying from a viewer standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a what's best for the NFL standpoint, is it best for the NFL and for fans and for viewers at home to have a situation where Josh Allen may not even get on the damn field? No, but he could have gotten on. Right. The field. But, his, his, but he shouldn't, right, it shouldn't be reliant. Gonna, since we've already decided, I'll counterpoint here. Uh, and I guess it's devil's advocate since we've already decided um, <laughs> the week after. Patrick Mahomes got the ball in overtime and mm-hmm. couldn't move it and didn't get a score. Oh, snap. The Cincinnati Bengals played defense, got the ball, and won in overtime. So it's not a given that any time someone wins the coin toss in overtime, they're going down the field and the game is over. Not if you play defense against them. But we're making this assumption that defense and offense are the same thing, and they're not. And there's been a lot of changes to the game in recent years that favor the offense over the defense. Plus, you got a tired defense in the fourth quarter. It's probably easier for the offense to go down the field and score anyway. I'm I'm a guy who believes that, like, if you have a situation where only 50% of the, the people are even getting into the overtime period, what's the point? I always I always use this analogy. It's like tennis, right? I played tennis at Boyertown. I modeled my game after Patrick Rafter, like serve and volley, right? Because I couldn't hit a baseline shot to save my life. <laughs> serving serving is not the same as returning serve, right? One person has an inherent advantage. The server does, right? So imagine if you were playing tennis and Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras went into a tiebreaker and Agassi served four aces in a row and the game was over. Would you say, oh, just break serve, right? No, because breaking serve is harder than serving. So what I'm saying is I'm equating offense and defense in the NFL to serving. One team gets to go first. If the defense stops them, great. But if they don't, then the other quarterback should have a chance to respond to that. Maybe I'm skewed in the way I think because I watch a ton of college football and I'm used to the overtime rules in college football. And I just like that if the defense can't get a stop, that at least the opposing unit gets to come on the field and is given the opportunity to at least match what was done by the other offensive unit. So even if we go back and forth into a second or a third overtime, at least I say, okay, everyone's gotten on the field. Like this has been able to be reciprocated here. So both quarterbacks have been able to see the field. Both defenses have been able to see the field. I just don't like the fact that the game can end without like a Patrick Mahomes or a Tom Brady or a Josh Allen. Now here's my problem, Kevin, because I'm more towards, I I didn't care if they changed it, but I don't care that they did change it. So more in, I wouldn't have changed it, but I'm more in the, okay, that's the rules now we'll move forward. And I'm not you because I've never seen you say this, but I've seen some high profile national guys uh, on, you know, it's always safety, 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 safety. And then we get into overtime and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are entertaining us and are like, oh, keep playing. You got to keep playing. You got to keep playing. So I think there's a natural hypocrisy there. You got to come up with a rule. They had a rule, as Jody pointed out, one week Kansas City had an advantage. The next week Cincinnati was able to overcome that advantage. As long as everybody knows the rules coming in, they're not Donovan McNabb. I have no problem with it. Yeah, but yeah. the safety part of it just bothers me. 
I think so too, especially, you know, and it rings hollow, I think too, because, you know, if safety was a bigger thing, then nobody would have agreed to go to 17 games in the first place, you know? So I I think that's only like an auxiliary thing that comes in on the back end to kind of help bolster an argument, but it's hollow. I do think that the addition of the, the installation of the rule to only make it happen in, in the playoffs, I think is more palatable for sure. If you wanted to say that that has something to do with safety or making guys play extra snaps in the regular season, so be it. But I don't know. I just watched a college game. Um, and even if Penn State and Illinois go to nine overtimes, you know, at least uh, both offenses have had a chance to 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 me to me it's about reciprocation, right? To me, it's just about the opportunity to re, to respond. And I understand. I don't. I don't want. I think Jody's take and other people. I don't want people to see him like I'm on the side of like defense doesn't matter. Like I want value. I want there to be value in defense, and I want defense to be valued in the NFL. But I think it's less about that. I think it's just more about trying to equal the playing field so that each unit gets a turn to go. You know, to me, it's less about trying to water down well, one unit and say, say it doesn't Kevin, matter, you know? I, I will say you're right. It's less value. The NFL showed us that twice with the change in overtime and the new rule that you have to hire this new minority coach, but he's got to be on the offensive Offense. side of the ball. He's well, got to be on the, on the he, offensive side of the ball, which they're highlighting – it doesn't matter the other side of the ball. I feel bad for defensive coaches because they're saying if you want to be a head coach in this league and we want more minorities, so we got to put them with the head coach and the offensive coordinator. The quarterback. Yeah, that's a whole nother complicated thing. But I think, you know, the pattern of NFL coaching hires these days is that like they like offensive minds. Right. And well, so, yeah. like, you know, white guys end up being quarterbacks. White guys end up being quarterback coaches. They end up being offensive coordinators where like, a you know, look at uh um, yeah, you know, like Lovey Smith and guys like that who come through on the defensive side of it, maybe more POC, Robert Sala, for example, just happened to come up through the defensive side of the game, you know. So it's that whole thing's a little complicated, but it's 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 funny how you look at the patterns of how like like ebbs and flows in the NFL of like what they like to hire. I remember when after Andy Reid or after Chip Kelly left, there was a lot of Eagles fans who were clamoring for like, let's get a defensive guy finally, right? Like let's Josh hire a defensive guy. Yeah. yeah, you know, and now you look at the hires Josh that are made, Bryce. like your Brian Dables and and uh, with, oh, Gus Bradley, I, mean, I remember following the helicopter. We had the heli- <laughs> channel three. We had the helicopter flying yeah. over uh, like the yeah. airfield. Waiting Gus for him to was come. here, man. Till yeah. Tim changed yeah. his mind. And what the hell was Tampa Bay thinking last night? Hiring a defensive guy and an African American guy all in one fell swoop. <laughs> yeah. How dare they bring in Todd Bowles when everyone talk, believes it's got to go to offense? Yeah, we yeah. got to talk about that because I'm surprised Tom Pelissero. I give him credit for asking the question. He said, "What about the Rooney Rule?" And uh, the NFL said, well, you know, it's it's out of the hiring cycle, so it doesn't apply. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm like, uh, well, they hired a minority, so we don't have a problem with it. But, I mean, in theory, two other minorities should have got an interview to hopefully elevate their status. And they just said, eh, heck with it. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting because I, I don't know how people feel about it now, but I think back in the day when you look at like, you know, Ray Rhodes and Donovan McNabb and, you know, I, I think the perception was that the Eagles were at least like one of the better teams when it came to sort of being progressive or to like having a more diverse yeah. staff or whatever. Um, you know, since then, it's only been white head coaches, but there's only been four of or yeah, four of them or whatever. So, but I don't know. I just I just find it interesting. I try to look at it from a macro level of like, hey, what are the trends in the NFL? The trend is to hire an offensive coordinator to be your head coach. Offensive coordinators usually come from being quarterback coaches. Quarterback coaches are usually guys who were who quarterbacks. And there yeah. just happen to be more white quarterbacks than there are black quarterbacks. So I, whether it's conscious 
or unconscious. I think it's more of a product of like what the what the trends are and what the patterns are. No, I agree are with that. I was just yeah. trying to highlight the NFL is signaling offense is more important than defense. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Overtime and and with that new rule. Yeah, Byron Leftwich could have been the hire in Tampa. He checks all the boxes, African-American and an offensive guy, but they went yeah. with Todd Bowles. And as a Jet fan, I can tell the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> all right, uh, KK, we got to run. Always a pleasure, my friend. Next time I expect a Motley Crew shirt or something somewhere thereabouts on you. Okay. Uh, Nope. Is the crew still pounding them out these days? I don't even know. Uh, no, I think Vince Neal retired because he just couldn't sing anymore. So he didn't make it to age 70 like Rob Halford. Man. But I'll, um, I'll look for you guys at the next Judas pre-show. Okay? <laughs> Kevin Kincaid <laughs> from Crossing Broad here with us on Birds 365. Always a fun spot when we punch up KK. All right, Johnny Mac, Jody Mac coming back. We'll talk more because we talked Eagles draft at the top of the show. We do have Grant Paulson joining us in about 20 minutes to give us a commander update as we touch down on the division opponents of the Eagles this week. Uh, we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what did shake out in Tampa last night with Bruce Arians out and Todd Bowles in as head coach of the Buccaneers. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian in my heart. I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
got John McMullen and Jody McDonald. Your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Thanks for streaming on in. Hour number two coming your way. We thank Kevin Kincaid for hopping on hour one. And we've got Grant Paulson from 1067, the fan down in D.C., to join in and talk some commander slash Carson Wentz football with us coming up in less than 20 minutes from now. Um, but yeah, at the top, I did want to uh, pick your brain a little bit about your mock draft, J-Mac, and I gave you... By the way, Kevin helped me out there, Jody. Uh, he kind of explained. I didn't want to break up the conversation. But when he was talking about Javon Hargrave playing zero-one technique in those weird fronts, that's what the Eagles won. And Javon wasn't good at it. Um, and he's not that type of player who can tie up those blockers. And that's why they want the big body in the middle so they they can everybody can get in their natural position, sort of a domino effect. And, you know, Fletcher can play more five and um, Javon can play more three. And they don't have anybody to, to play zero or one. And Javon... We talked about him as a pass rusher last year. He was tremendous, but he was really bad as a run defender, and they noticed that. So that is my thought process behind the the Travis Jones pick. And if you don't get Davis or Jones, the next player like that, you know, you might go to – there's a kid in Alabama, you know, he's going to be a third round, there's a kid from Arkansas, but you start talking about guys who are, you know, not – Definites, let's put it that way. Right, and I, I understand your point, and and the way you lay it out makes perfect sense. But you still have Hargrave and Fletcher. It, uh, I'll yeah, turn it. You don't want to play. I'll turn it into tackle. a question for you. You don't want to play a nose tackle. Uh, fair enough. I'll turn it into a question instead. Percentage chance Fletcher Cox is with the Philadelphia Eagles in twenty twenty three. Uh twenty twenty three. Yeah, next year. We know he's here this year. So, percentage chance that Fletcher is still on another reduced contract because his contract was. I uh, would say less than 30%. Less than 30%. All right. If that's the case, then yes, I think you can take a defensive tackle, a specific type of defensive tackle that you want going forward in Gannon's defense. But then again, Howie Roseman did say they're just renting uh, the, Everybody's the defensive coordinator. Right. Because he's a, he's a stone-cold lock to be a head coach in the NFL within the next couple of years. So I don't know that you want to build an entire defense around the way that he thinks the perfect de defense is made because he's not going to be here anyway because somebody's going to hire him as their head coach. Everybody's just leasing in the NFL. But everybody in the NFL wants this type of player. Everybody. I mean, they saw it up close with Vita Vita. That's the type of player you want. Now, nobody, you know, nobody's saying – anybody's going to be as good as him. Um, but that's what they're trying to duplicate. Man. So that that type of player. I, that type just, of player. It's just me, but I'd rather have an Aaron Donald undersized player than an oversized Well, they think player. they have that. They think they have that. They think they have a bunch of those. They think, you know, that's what Javon does well. Not, I'm not saying they're Aaron Donald. They're playing three technique. That's what they excel at. That's what Fletcher excels at. That's what Milton excels at. They literally have three who can play that position. They don't have anybody to play nose tackle or, or one technique. Understood. But uh, I'm not using one of my three first-round picks to get that guy. If if I get a lesser version two rounds later, I'm okay with that. 
if they so desperately thought that they needed this, well, why didn't who who was the guy that Donahue wanted to take rather than Milton Alim, Williams? Alim McNeil. Yeah, that's why I wanted him. That's why because he, he was him. a one technique. Yeah. So then why did Gannon so sign like off on better? They like Milton better. They thought so he was a which is player. more important, a player you like or a player who fits a role and is a specific type of player along well, the Well, I would I'm trying to say they would like the player and he fits a role. So you have both. If you don't like the player, um, no, you don't take him. But if you like the player and he fits a role, well then you then it's bingo. You know, then you run up and get your prize. But if you don't like the player, and you do what you just said. Well, you take a flyer on one of those other kids in the fourth round and try to go about it a different way. I'm not saying they're going to take the guy because that's the position he plays. I'm saying they want that position and they like the guy. That's what I'm saying. Right. But uh, I do not like the kid from UConn as the 16th pick of the draft. That, to me, would be a Well, reach. I did say they would probably trade down, hopefully. Oh. You got him trading down for the guy uh, at defensive tackle and trading down for Sam Howell. Damn, how how he better be active on the phones on draft day. He's doing both of those things to be able to get the guy in just the right slot value-wise. And they might trade up at the top. I think they might trade up and they might trade back. The one thing we can't agree on is I don't think they're taking 15, 16, 19. That would that would be an upset. And that's what we're all basing our Mac drafts on right now, which is probably in uh, folly exercise. All right. Yeah. Bruce Arians walks away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. John McMullen's opinion. How much did Tom Brady have to do with this? You know, I'm surprised more people didn't latch on to that. Um, to be honest, uh, because it was, I, I always forget his name. Who was it? Uh, Onberger, Rich, uh, the right. offensive lineman. He was taking victory laps uh, last night, evidently on social media. Um, I'm surprised more people didn't go down that conspiracy route. Um, it is strange. It is. There's smoke. I don't know if there's fire. Um, you know, there was Again, that report about them having a strained relationship. Um, Brady retires. Brady all of a sudden comes back. Now it's it's reported that Tom was made aware that Bruce was leaving the day he came back. Uh, is that the reason he came back? Um, other people will point to Tom on social media, who was very effusive with his praise of Bruce Aarons. But I mean, come on, he's. He's well-versed in public relations. He knows what to do in these types of situations. I, I I, will say, I have no idea, but I will say, I think there's there's a possibility because this is strange, to say the least. The timing, not only of Bruce, um, and I do believe Bruce's succession plan, when he kind of explained he's always wanted to, put Todd Bowles in this situation because those two have been close forever. I mean, 40 something, 40 something years. Um, I do believe that part of it, but look, it wouldn't surprise me if yes, Tom knew that Tom came back because he knew Bruce was leaving. Wouldn't surprise me. I will say that. So the conversation, and it may have been had at a soccer stadium over in Europe between Tom Brady and the Glazers. Uh, 
Prior to his return, uh, just going to hang with his old boss at a soccer game uh, across the pond. Is that when it was determined that maybe, just maybe, Bruce Arians' services were no longer needed as the head coach if Tom Brady wanted to come back and be the quarterback? Well, Well, it's pretty clear the deal came together in Europe at, at the soccer game. I mean, that's when the decision was made that he was coming back. So I think the real question is, why was why did he decide to come back? Is it just a they talked him into it and said, "Come on, Tom, you're still great. You got another year in you." Or was there more to it? I think that's the bigger question. And I think there's at least a possibility. I don't want to put on the foil hat, Jody, but there's at least a possibility that it's a strange coincidence, is how I will say it. Uh, you know that this report came out and, and, you know, Ornberg is close to uh, people in Tampa and um, it got denied and Tom walked away and then he comes back and all of a sudden Bruce Arians is at the meetings and boom, he's gone. And it's strange. It is strange. So uh, one interesting aspect for me was how does Byron Leftwich handle this? Because I was even a little surprised that he got very few interests slash interviews. Well, he had the Jacksonville job. He just, I mean, he just stuck to his guns and said, I don't want to work with Trent Balky. I want to bring in my guy. Um, and I forget who it was. I'll look it up in the break. But he had a specific general manager. Um, and I can't remember. Which, by the way, was. did he overplay his hand there? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, he could have had the job. He had the. I, it. It be. He. He was offered the job. If he agreed to work with Trent Baalke, he'd be the head coach of Jacksonville right now. Um. So depends what you mean by overplay. Um. Uh, but yeah, if he just wanted a head coaching job at all costs. But as Bruce Aarons kind of pointed out, you know, sometimes these guys get put in crappy situations and. You know, Todd Bowles is not going to be in a crappy situation this time. So um, he'll get a better opportunity to be entrenched, whereas some other guys, uh, I don't want to pick on the Jets, but because of uh, Todd used to be the coach of the Jets, and you see Robert Sala is trying to, you know, get in on the ground floor of a rebuilding team. Sometimes that doesn't work out too well. And if Robert Sala gets fired from the Jets in two years or next year, um, he's probably not getting another job. So, you know, if you have confidence in yourself and you think there's going to be other opportunities down the road, you can you can be a little bit more selective. But, you know, it's tough to be selective when there's only 32 jobs. Byron uh-huh. was selective. I'll tell you my favorite story along those lines. I got to dip into the other sport to do it, but you'll get to connect. Um, I was at Yankee Stadium 20 plus years ago, uh, prior to a Yankee game. And it was the end of the season and the Yankees were making their way toward the playoffs. But rumors were already starting about what teams were going to be turning over their managers. And I couldn't even tell you what manager was let go. But the number one candidate to take over the Tampa Bay Rays was Lee Mazzilli, who was a coach on the Yankees. And I knew Mazzilli from all the way back to his Met playing days when my father drafted him with the first round draft pick. 
Um, and he and I had a decent relationship. So I would, hey, Madge, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Shake hands. This Tampa job. You're not really going to take it, are you? If it's offered to you, he said, absolutely. <laughs> I said, yeah, but they're terrible. If you do that, you're going to be one and done. You're not going to get another ride on the carousel. Why would you waste your one shot with Jody? You never say no. Yeah. Because the bigger regret is going to be someone offered me a job. I turned it down and no one ever offered me the job again. And you just kick yourself all the way through the rest of your career slash life. And I said, all right, Maz, if you want to do that. And oh, by the way, he turned down the raise, took the Orioles job two years later. It was one and done because they weren't any good either. So yeah, well, and, and, and by the way, when I say competence to pass over a job, you can show competence by taking one of those jobs like Lee kind of explained right there and say, well, I can turn it around. I can do it. You know, so there's two ways to kind of look at it. I did. Adrian Wilson was uh, who Byron Leftwich wanted to bring in as the general manager. So, yeah, I mean, he could have had that job. And ultimately, you know, that's how Doug landed in Jacksonville. And I think, you know, Jacksonville is going to do fine with Doug Peterson. But definitely Byron Leftwich could have had the job. Now, he's in a great situation, though, because he's, you know, probably going to have more power in Tampa now that Bruce Aarons is gone as essentially the, the head coach of the offense with Tom Brady. So uh, he's going to probably, he's right and he's in that he's probably going to get another opportunity unless Tampa Bay is, you know, falls off the rails for some reason. I know I don't see that happening. The, the only way that happens is if that Brady guy ends up getting hurt. <clears throat> which shockingly he has not often over 20 plus years. Yeah, He's once. been pretty yeah. ba- damn stable, but he has had an injury from time to time. And we keep waiting for the 45 year old to get a little brittle. And he seems to continue to dodge those bullets, but their offensive line coming up this year doesn't look like it's going to be as good as it did. So interesting stuff. NFC team, the bucks, NFC team, the Eagles, NFC team, the Washington commanders. We're hoping that, uh, my buddy, uh, Grant Paulson, jumps aboard with us. Uh, he works for 106.7 The Fan down in D.C., NBC, uh, Washington as well. Does a lot of Redskins coverage. Uh, he is scheduled to join us next, coming up here on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. 
That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Magabat guys here on Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. As we told you earlier in the week, we wanted to touch base with each and every uh, three other teams in the division. We did the Cowboys earlier this week. It's a Redskins slash football team slash commander. Commander. Here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. And we've got one of the best who covered them down in D.C., Brent Paulson for 106.7. The fan down there in our nation's capital who is outside. It's that nice a day, Paulson. You can do this from outside. For now, it's supposed to be like 72 degrees, but they're talking about thunderstorms. So yeah. I got two little kids running around the house. I said, oh, I'll step outside. And now I got a neighbor's dog barking. So we'll see if we can make it work. <laughs> it's uh, it's nice up here as well, Grant. We get one 70 degree day and then we'll be back in the muck soon enough. So let's enjoy it. You're doing the right thing. Uh, is Washington enjoying the new commander down there, our old buddy Carson Wentz. How is that going over, uh, bringing in Carson Wentz to be the QB1 inside the beltway? Yeah, I think people are really skeptical. But here's the good news, I guess, for Washington, sadly enough, is that he's a massive upgrade over what they've had recently. I think there's a couple ways to view this, right? The, the first of them is that he is better than Taylor Heineke was last year. He is better – than what they have been dealing with over the last several years. They have not had a quarterback that gave him a real chance to win a ton of football games. And uh, I don't know that he's the long-term answer or that he's a top half the league QB. At this point, I'd say something like, you know, the 20th or 21st best quarterback in football, but uh, they have been starting backups more often than not. You know, Dwayne Haskins, who may not ever start in the league again, Case Keenum, uh, Alex Smith on one leg, Kyle Allen. I mean, these are the types of QBs they've had over the last few seasons. So Wentz is clearly an upgrade. Now, the problem is what they gave up, in my opinion, to get him, which was that they gave up a package as if you're going and getting an answer. Uh, They gave up a a third-round pick this year and what will turn into likely a second-round pick next year. 
Uh, they also gave up 28 million of the 33 million in cap space that they had. So then they had to jigger a bunch of things and, and basically release and move on from players uh, on their roster to try to have some cap for free agency. And it's been really quiet since, and it's been kind of like Carson Wentz and a cloud of dust because of how much he costs. So uh, I think people are a little bit perturbed by how much they compensation was and whether or not they had to do that. Could they have gone say with a cheap free agent and drafted someone? Could they have possibly waited and been more patient and gotten Matt Ryan on the cheap? I mean, there are questions like that, but if you just look at it as look, you upgraded at the most important position in sports, then from that standpoint, I think what you get is a lot of fans that feel like they have a chance to be better at quarterback. Understand where you're coming from, from a strategic point of view and a uh, deal-making and financial point of view. At some point, you're going to have to get on the football field, and Carson Wentz may still have the capabilities to make plays. One thing I'm pretty sure, though, is he's not a leader of men. It came into question here in Philadelphia. It certainly was in question in Indianapolis and his one-and-done year there. If that continues to be the way Carson Wentz goes about his business by not being able to be a leader of men, who picks up the slack for the commanders? Yeah, so it's a great question. So that, that is the concern. We can come back to kind of the Wentz angle there. Uh, on offense, that's Terry McLaurin. Now, he is more of a lead-by-example guy than a talker. He's not going to give a speech per se. But Terry McLaurin's a special human being, guys. I mean, this is a terrific mensch of a man. You want him to date your daughter. You know, you you, you want uh, a young kid to be mentored by him. He does everything the right way. He works his butt off uh, at a position where you've long had divas and me first guys. He doesn't have a bona like that in his body. And in fact, to his own detriment, perhaps. I mean, he is, as I said, had an egregiously bad quarterback play. It's hindered his performance. It's really hurt his chances of uh, succeeding and thriving in the National Football League to the extent that he could. He's a 1,000-yard guy every year, but he should be a 1,300 or so yard guy. And he hasn't made a peep. He actually statistically was dead last in the NFL at the percentage of catchable balls on his targets thrown to him uh, over the last two years. Statistically, he has been dead last in that category over the, the, the summation of the two years. So we're talking about a guy that makes chicken salad out of, you know what uh, he's the leader. He's the guy that kind of runs the show. I think that uh, Charles Leno, the left tackle has kind of become a bit of a leader of that offensive line as well. He's only going into his second season here, but they've already extended him and paid him. So those are a couple of the names I would give you on offense. In the heartbeat of the team, the, the guy that kind of runs the whole locker room is Jonathan Allen, who's their defensive lineman who made the Pro Bowl last year. He's coming off of a phenomenal season, really played at a you know, probably not first team all pro, but like a you know, down the list all pro type level, had an awesome year pushing the pocket, collapsing from the interior, stuffing the run. He's a former first round pick at Alabama. So they got some dudes in that locker room that aren't going to allow a lack of leadership to, to be a problem. What I will say about Wentz, though, is, you know, I talked to people with the Eagles. I talked to people with the Colts, uh, more so really, uh, frankly, with Indianapolis. And there is concern about his ability to just kind of get along. And it's not that he's a bad guy. I think yeah. people hear sometimes this idea that he's, he's not – great or ideal or perfect fit with teams in the locker room. And they think you're a jerk and he's not uh, by most accounts. What he is though, is he's different than a lot of dudes. And I think at times um, 
that has led to some bristling and some annoyance and aggravation. And, you know, the, the question sometimes is, can you just be one of the guys? Can you just hang out and have conversations and go out with dudes and hang out? And, and from what I've gathered from a lot of people, that hasn't always been a strength of his, which is not a, you know, a knock in real life, but in football, sometimes it can be a little bit of an issue and it. And it is it reared its head occasionally for Carson Wentz. I say it all the time on this show, Grant dealt with Carson a lot. He's, he's an introvert. He's not a bad guy. Yeah. He's an introvert playing a position that demands leadership though. So it's, it becomes a problem when other guys in the locker room perceive that he's not trying to be inclusive. That to me is, is what has Perfectly been the problem. Said. Yeah. It, it's what has been his problem, but I'm interested because you're on the radio every day, 106.7, drive time. How Jim Irsay's comments went over in Washington at, at the meetings, did that set off any alarms? Because, um, you know, Jim was pretty harsh uh, about yeah. what went on. So it's funny you ask that. We talked quite a bit about that the last couple of days, as you'd imagine. Um, I'll give you my take first and then maybe like a little bit more of a fan perspective it makes me feel better a little bit because I don't care as much what an owner thinks as what football people think. Uh, if Dan Snyder, Jim Irsay, whoever it is, <clears throat> doesn't like a player or doesn't think a guy's a fit or wants to draft a quarterback, that's fine. I care about Frank Reich's opinion. I care about Chris Ballard's opinion way more because my question is, can this guy play football? Can he elevate players around him? Can he go out and win football games when the game's on the line late? Like those types of things. It's clear to me, Ursay couldn't stand Wentz. Let's just start there. I mean, he, he wanted him out. Supposedly, according to The Athletic and Zach Kiefer, who wrote this story you're referencing, um, he's not overly involved normally, Ursay. And he got more involved than normal to guarantee and ensure that Carson Wentz would be out. Like, it was that important to him. Now, it does sound, if you read between the lines, like there was at least some bristling over perhaps Wentz's vaccination status, where he refused to get vaccinated. I'm not here to, to judge him for that or to comment on Vex status, but I will tell you, if you're the owner of a team and you're paying a quarterback an amount of money that is prohibitive of having a good backup, and then a guy's not doing everything they can to stay on the field, I understand how that can make you feel some type of way. But if, if that's what sours the relationship, you know, if that's part of why you don't like Carson Wentz now is because of that, and that leads to the beginning of the end, from sheerly a football perspective on what is Wentz going to be in Washington, I feel a little better about that, guys, than I would if it was like, oh, this guy's terrible at football. Now, that was obviously a big part of the problem, even though he didn't say as much, because if you look at the end of the season and how he performed the last couple of games, the fact that his yards per attempt were down around six for the last nine weeks or whatever it was, like really, really bad numbers. It's all baked in here. It's all part of the conversation. But as specific to Wentz, I think it's a situation where – Ursay wanted him out. Maybe Ballard got along. Maybe Ballard played ball, but Ursay wanted him out. And I think that makes commanders fans feel a little bit better. If it's the owner calling the shots than the football people. All right. Uh, Grant, even though it is moved into the uh, bronze medal slot, the biggest slap of the entire last 12 months is of course, Chris Rock uh, taking one from Will Smith. And <laughs> I put the Juwan Howard taking a shot at a uh, Wisconsin uh, coach as well. But uh, your two defensive linemen who went upside each other's heads during the season this past year certainly did get a lot of coverage on a national game, uh, uh, Jerron and uh, Jerome Allen. 
have those guys kissed and made up? Is that going to be an ongoing issue? I thought it was handled after it well after it went down last year. Is anything smoldering there? Is that something the coach has to be on top of this season? That's a good question. We haven't thought about it or heard about it in a while. It's it's an interesting thing to think about now in hindsight. Uh, look, it hasn't been an issue. I, those two guys were really, really close, and I'm assuming still are. I think those types of things happen. It was inexcusable, and the way it went down was pretty embarrassing on national TV during a blowout loss. Uh, having said all that, here's the situation on the D-line is Allen, who I mentioned, is kind of their leader that runs everything and was part of why that happened. Um, Deron Payne is maybe their second best player on the defense, but certainly their second best player on the defensive line. And he's going into a contract year. Now they may lock him up and keep him around for the long term. He's another first round pick out of Alabama one year after Allen who's played really well. I'm opposed to that. I think it would be a terrible mistake in that. Yes, he's a good football player, but do you really want to pay two D tackles top of the market, 17 to $19 million a year money side by side. I think that's a, you know, you get the same amount of money to spend and you have to decide what's the best way to use it. Right. And you're trying to be smarter than everyone else to sink that kind of money into two interior defensive linemen just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So I would have shopped pain this off season. Didn't seem like they wanted to, or I would continue to shop him into the season because he is really, really good and see if you could get some assets back for him in, in draft compensation. My guess is they're going to negotiate with him. I don't think they'll lock him up, but they're going to try to. And if they don't, then he'll walk in free agency at the end of this year, or they could potentially franchise tag him if they don't have to franchise Terry McLaurin. Because remember, the biggest story here in Washington right now is the McLaurin contract. And with the wide receiver market exploding right now, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill yeah. getting what they got, you got to pay this dude. He's going into the final year of his deal. And it's time to – it's now or never kind of in terms of an extension before you could risk losing him. So uh, I think that's the biggest story if you're a Commanders fan is do they lock up McLaurin and what does it cost in this exploding market? Grant, you mentioned uh, free agency as, as a whole for Washington has been, been pretty quiet uh, outside of the Carson Wentz deal. Uh, they did lose a very good offensive lineman and, and Brandon Sheriff. Uh, Matt uh, uh, Ioannidis, who we know well from Temple, um, his agent wasn't happy about how that went down. He's out, so some depth hits there. They managed to get JJ JD McKissick um, to do the 180. As a whole, have they improved? Have they gotten worse? Obviously, from the quarterback position, as you mentioned, they got better. But just for the, the rest of the roster – not a lot of splash either way, with the exception of Sheriff. Where are they? Improvement, do you see, or it's, not? Yeah, it's been really quiet. I mean, they're improved because they're better at quarterback, I think. Now, how much better or how improved, I think, is a really fair question. You guys know all about Carson Wentz. There's going to be games where you think, oh, this guy's really good, and then games that are infuriating and maddening where you just have to assume that he's, well, what is going on with this guy? He could be on his fourth team in four years. Um, but – I think overall the question is, you know, what is the deal with their inability to add more pieces? And they just haven't done it here recently. Um, you mentioned the quarterback position. Oh, did we lose uh, Grant? We'll see if we can uh, we'll get him back up. We'll see if he pops, pops back up. He went uh, muted, so maybe well, who knows? 
when you're outside, you might lose your signal, but hopefully we'll get Grant back. It is interesting to me from Washington's perspective, and there's Grant, he's back. Um, uh, from the standpoint of Chase Young, here's a guy, you mentioned Grant, um, the two best players on defense. And, and I'm not saying Chase Young is a bad player because Chase Young is a very good player, but I thought he was going to be a superstar player. Is there any disappointment relative to the expectations of when he came in as a high-level pick? Immense disappointment. Immense disappointment in Chase Young. His first year was outstanding. Remember, he was the defensive rookie yeah. of the year. Yep. He had the most sacks of anybody in his draft class. He looked like he was on his way to becoming what everyone was told he was going to be, which was a defensive player of the year type, you know, a game-changing presence, a, a game wrecker, so to speak. Fast forward to the offseason. He's not at OTAs. He's not at anything that isn't mandatory. Uh, at that point, the coaching staff said he'll be fine. He's working his butt off. He'll be here. He ended up having a quote last season where he was asked after a slow start, you know, do you regret it or why weren't you here? And he said to a reporter, I was getting my money, boss, something like that, meaning he was recording commercials. He was doing other things. I hope he's got a new lease on what this is all about. Right. And it's not to say he doesn't work his tail off because I really do believe he puts in more time in the gym. He knows what he's doing. He's a grinder. But I do think that after that first year, you do kind of the celebrity tour, so to speak. I, I think some things got out of whack for him as evidenced by him not being around the facility as much. And, you know, the shame of it is he got hurt halfway through last year. Right. So it needs to be said that part of his massively disappointing second season was an injury halfway through the season. Uh, and it was a bad one. You know, he had a tear and is coming back from that ACL and that's a tough recovery. Having said that, if you, if you look at, I believe it was the ninth game he got hurt in the nine games he played in, they were not impactful. You know, they were not, really good. He had, I think a sack and a half. He had like three or four quarterback hits. I mean, those you have fifth, six round picks that kind of give you that kind of production. So make no mistake about it. It was a huge regression. It was a ultra disappointing year. And I would say that the tone from the fan base where this guy was uh, deified, you know, and just kind of every Jersey was chase young and he was going to be the face of the entire franchise. Like I didn't mention him, when we brought up the leaders, but he was kind of the de facto leader of the team going into his second season already. It, all those types of things, I don't want to say went away last year, but they're on hold. And I do think there is, as always with any fan base, there's fans that are just going to, you know, anything he says or does, they love. And he's still Chase Young and the generational end. But for a lot of people, it's now kind of, dude, you got to show me something. You know, you, you've been in the league for two years albeit again, the serious injury second half of last year, which is disappointing. I feel awful for the player, but you're talking about like nine sacks and it's been more bark than bite. So it's, it's time to, to make that leap. I mean, we were thinking they were getting miles Garrett, TJ Watt, you know, Von Miller kind of production. And it just, it now you're just hoping like, can this guy become what Ryan Kerrigan was here for a decade before you guys brought him in as, as a bench option last year. All right, Grant, we've spent the first 15, almost 20 minutes talking on the field, which is what we prefer. Uh, and we could go to Dan Snyder and issues off the field and do another hour thereafter. But we'll save that for a rainy another day. Um, but I do want to ask you one off the field question, and that's about the stadium. Um, last year, major issues. It's been a bad stadium basically since they built it, but it is now 
well before its time, already falling apart at the seams and uh, the commanders are doing what they have to do to try and get a new stadium underway. Any new news? Any good juicy rumors? How is the new stadium, when and if it ever comes about, going to shake out down there in D.C.? Yeah, I'll give you a little State of the Union on that because there's actually a timely update uh, from yesterday, matter of fact. So it's pretty incredible what's happening with the stadium. So uh, they play right now in Landover, Maryland. Let's start with that. Uh, That's about 20 minutes. Well, depends on the day and the traffic. But basically, you you can get there in 20 minutes from wherever you're at in downtown D.C. without a whole lot of traffic. Now, on game days, it can be a nightmare. I say that to say that when you're at the top of the stadium, you can see some of the really important buildings and monuments and things in the nation's capital. It's very close in proximity to DC, but they are not playing in DC and they have not been since the mid nineties when they left RFK stadium, every fan almost to a person wants them to be back in DC and ideally would like them to be at the RFK site because DC doesn't own that land. It's like nationally protected land. It's pretty complicated. Uh, They also aren't that interested in doing business. It doesn't seem like with Dan Snyder, who's dealing with, as you've referenced, uh, sexual harassment allegations, sexual misconduct allegations within the organization where they were fined $10 million and his role with the team had to change last year. And now there's an investigation by Congress and by the NFL into his own uh, alleged uh, activities and, and issues. So with all that swirling, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia aren't fighting in this battle royale that everyone anticipated to get this stadium. Uh, that's the fan base. It's made up. You, you know, you obviously have a, some national following of people that move, but it's Virginia, it's Maryland, and D.C. We call it the DMV. And the thought was that all three of those states, municipalities, would have you locations would be fighting over the team, and it's just not happening. So Virginia originally has been the front runner to get the stadium, but here's where we are now what was expected was they were going to offer the team basically a billion dollars in taxpayer money for what is supposed to be a little over a $3 billion stadium. Well, Maryland and DC came and said, Oh, you can have, we'll, we'll do the stadium here too, but we're giving the team almost nothing in terms of taxpayer money. And so it seemed like it's a no brainer. They're going to Virginia. The problem is that the locations in Virginia are either way out West, like 45 minutes from the city which is a bad idea with a stadium because then nothing's around it and you have to build everything up around it or closer to the city down 95 in one of the worst traffic areas already in the country. So people are kind of uneasy about both of those locations. The Maryland location is where they are now in FedEx field, which while proximity to DC is fine, there's nothing out there. It's one of only two stadiums in the NFL that doesn't have a single restaurant or bar within a mile of it. There's nothing to do. It's a terrible location. It's one of the biggest problems the stadium has. So the easy answer is DC with Metro with, with public transportation, but it seems like of the three, they're either the least interested or right now the least invested in jump into the fray and time is ticking their lease is up in 27 you know it took the rams like four and a half or whatever years to build sofi i think the raiders were able to pull their stadium off in a little under three years but it's got to be done now and just yesterday we had a guy on my show grant and danny in dc who's covering all this for channel nine locally in in dc who said he's talked to a source who told him that that virginia is considering lowering their taxpayer bid that they're offering the commanders that they would not pay a billion, but 350 million. 
I mean, think about that. You're lowering it by like 65% and it would still be more money than they're getting from DC or from Maryland. So they basically came onto the car lot and said, we'll give you a hundred grand for a car that costs like 40. And then the other two bids came in at like 27 and 30. And they're like, actually, we'll give you 40. So, I mean, it is going in the wrong direction right now for Dan Snyder and the commanders. If you believe all of this reporting, obviously it could be politics. It's one unnamed state senator. You know, maybe that person doesn't want the stadium or the team or whatever. But they were saying things like, you know, each passing day, it's clear that, you know, this team's lacking gravity that it once had. I mean, one of the comments from this state senator was that they're not sure if the team's going to be viable in five or ten years. I mean, it's really – kind of ugly and and it's not what you'd expect because there's a huge, as you guys know, unbelievably passionate following all being a dwindling one over the last several years because of Snyder and and the lack of winning. But to to be here already where, you know, the time is, is getting closer to when you got to make a decision and it's not a room where everyone's lifting up their paddle to, to bid and, and fighting with each other. It's like, people are like kind of sheepishly, you know, like, uh, maybe like it's, it's bad right now. So it's, it's really interesting to see where this goes. All right. You mentioned uh, a grant and Danny and DC one Oh six, seven, the fan last one from me, grant, you follow grant uh, on Twitter at grant H Paulson. Um, is Daniel Snyder the problem here? Obviously, nobody knows politics better than you guys. You're in the midst of it, the the, the center of it. You talk about the three different uh, municipalities, essentially, in the DMV. Um, do people not want to do business with Daniel Snyder? I mean, this is a very viable team. I think as soon as you get that stain off it, is the NFL – working is there any rumors down there about the nfl trying to get daniel snyder out of this business so to speak so it's a it's a good question it's so unrealistic though that he's going to end up losing the team or forced to sell get it grant and basketball But but not unlike when players get in trouble there was audio you know it was hard to run from that remember and the precedent each, you know, do you want to lower the precedent? And I, I say that not in any way to, to take away from the, the very courageous stories told by the very courageous women that have come forward to talk about the wrongdoings in that workplace. But so far, you have Jerry Richardson, who had several allegations against him directly. There was never really a specific allegation against Snyder directly until very recently, and it's just starting to be investigated now. Previously, it had been that the workplace was toxic and awful for females. And while that's Snyder's team and and he's largely in charge, there was nothing that was kind of tied directly to him. So you'd be changing the threshold. and, And the people that need to change that bar are other owners who I perceive to probably have skeletons in their own closet. I mean, you need 24 of 32 owners to roll on him and say, we want him out. Unlikely. I don't think it's happening. The only way that would happen, in my opinion, is if enough sponsors pull out and the bottom line is affected. Remember, they didn't want to change the name. Dan Snyder never wanted to change the name. Nobody with the team wanted to change the name. The name is now Commanders. And the reason was FedEx, name of their stadium, uh, fanatics, all these places that sell jerseys, Nike, whoever else, I don't remember the specifics, but they basically said, we're not going to sell your team's gear and merchandise and jerseys anymore with this name. And it got to a point where financially Dan Snyder couldn't keep the name and make the money that he needs and wants to make. So the only way 
to, to kind of relate this to your question, that he loses the team is when the Redskins turned football team turned commanders and Dan Snyder are costing the NFL money and sponsorships. Well, if you notice, three sponsors have pulled out this offseason. Only two of the, only one of them is a major sponsor, in my opinion, and that's Anheuser-Busch. Uh, Anheuser-Busch has 26 teams. They're still doing business with them. They have a decade-long partnership with the NFL. They just re-upped. They, I just went to an event yesterday in town with the Nationals where they're handing out beer and jerseys. They're very involved in the city, but they are no longer doing business with the commanders. They did not release a statement as to why. They did not reference Dan Snyder. They just said, we're not going to be dealing with them. We look forward to continue our relationships with 26 other teams and the NFL. That's a huge deal. So if that kind of thing continues to happen, at some point, Roger Goodell or someone at the league office is going to have to say, well, wait a second, is this worth it to us to keep defending this person? But I do think we're a long ways away from that. And if you're asking me, is there a better chance Dan Snyder's the owner in 20 years or not? I would still bet on him being the owner because this guy hasn't lost. He, he kind of always ends up on top. GP, last thing, uh, and thank you very much for coming on with us today. You may have acquired Nelson Cruz, but we got a whole bunch of boomsticks here in Philadelphia this year, <laughs> and they're coming down to your place to hit the ball out of your park. Uh, I'm uh, very excited about the Phillies lineup. I know uh, how big a baseball guy you are. It does a great job, by the way, on Sirius XM on Sunday mornings with Martyrs and Majors. Not only does he talk Redskins start of the week, but the best of the young players in baseball on the weekends on Sirius XM. Grant, we appreciate whenever you talk to us. Thanks for hopping on, buddy. And you got a hell of a neighborhood there. We got to see almost all of it. <laughs> yeah, I basically took the dog for a walk. I apologize. Right before I was coming on, both of my kids decided that I was not allowed to be in the house anymore to do this. <laughs> so then it was me and the dog out. We got kicked outside to the to the curb here. So we walked down the street. But uh, I, I have been there many times, Grant. <laughs> I said, oh, well, it's, it's going to be awkward scenery. It's going to be loud crying. So I, I didn't want to give anyone any PTSD who used to have kids. But I'll say this real quick, Jody Mack. A, I was glad that you brought up baseball because I thought this will be our first chat where that never came up. And then B, you guys are loaded, man. Between Castellanos and Schwarber back-to-back there, it was a kick to the ribs in D.C. of everyone because, you know, the Nats are not going to be particularly good. But you thought, okay, you got to deal with the Mets and you got to deal with the Braves. Now you got to deal with the Phillies too. And, and they still got a little ways to go pitching wise, probably, but uh, they're going to be a blast to watch when they're at the plate. The Broad Street boomsticks are coming down to DC a whole bunch this year. GP, always a pleasure. Thanks for doing it, buddy. We'll talk yeah, to you. Yeah, see soon. you guys. Be well. Keep up the good work. That is Grant Paulson uh, from 1067 Fan down in DC. I know him from Sirius XM's MLB channel. Just a, a good dude and man. And he give you background information, and I think he did a nice job for us talking the commanders. I'm already better at that than I ever was with the football team. Washington Maybe because it's a couple of years removed from the Redskins. It took me forever to get off the Redskins, but now I'm I'm pretty good at calling them commanders right off the bat. All right, we'll come back. I'll talk to Commander John McMullen, and we'll put a bow on the show next here on Birds 365.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Maga Mac guys, here on Birds 365. Thanks for streaming on in. While you're at it, like, share, subscribe, do the right thing, help you boys out, to help us get our algorithm up here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. All right, yes, hey, John, we ended the show with me asking you a look into the future question, and it was about Malcolm Jenkins, because you and I both noticed that in the last half hour of our show, Malcolm was calling it a career. So I turned around and made a question on you on Malcolm's Hall of Fame status. Eagles, Hall of Fame, definitely. NFL Hall of Fame, maybe probably just a little short. I think we're in the same boat on both uh, uh, questions. Here's today's question for you, because we talked about it with Grant Paulson. And oh, by the way, stories this week, including the Kansas City Chiefs looking up for a potential new stadium and considering areas in the state of Kansas... They've been in Kansas City, which is in Missouri, forever, but would consider potentially moving into the state of Kansas, which is not far away, but still a whole nother state. And the Cincinnati, this I can't believe, this I got to get more details on, that the Bengals are considering a new stadium that would be a dome stadium in Cincinnati. I guess it's one of those strike while the iron is hot. You had an unbelievable season, ended up in the Super Bowl, which nobody expected. Yeah, let's dip our toe into the whole new stadium talk. Uh, So it's going on around the National Football League. When does the conversation start about Lincoln Financial Field? 
Yeah, these things aren't uh, as 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 mm, how shall we say they don't hold up uh, as much as they used to do. Uh, and then when you start to get these billion dollar palaces, as you mentioned, Dallas, uh, um, Los Angeles has set the Maybe. standard. But you have all these all over the country. Atlanta is there's so many. Uh, Minneapolis, we were out for the Super Bowl, is 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 beautiful. Um, I, there's so many of these gorgeous stadiums in here. It's sort of like an arms race. And I got to be honest with you, Jody. We were just talking about it with Grant with, you know, $3 billion for a stadium. There's, there's eight home games. Well, you know, nine or ten if you want to include preseason now because we're down to three games. Maybe you have a playoff game. Uh, I wonder if people are going to wake up to this. I mean, maybe. Yeah, but come on. Temple packs the house on Saturday. Uh, Maybe not. But yeah, I mean, it's coming. Uh, uh, All you have to do is look across the street at the uh, Wells Fargo Center or, you know, that's where we are. Obviously, First Union Center, Core State Center, whatever. Now we're at the the Wells Fargo Center. Now the Sixers have talked about building their own arena in Camden at times. these things don't last long. So yeah, the Eagles, it's coming. It's coming and it's coming quicker than people realize. But I do think from a personal standpoint, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think they need a new stadium. But then when you get down to Dallas or you go out to Los Angeles or you go to Atlanta and you start to say, oh, I see. Yeah, this isn't Lincoln Financial Field isn't that. But do you really need that? I I don't know. Do you, do, and they keep getting taxpayer money, so that's kind of like a political question more than anything else. Oh shoot! Um, I John, I was on the air here in Philadelphia when the vet needed to be raised, and they put the whole package together for Lincoln Financial Field. Oh, it's a political football that is kicked around for years in advance before it ever gets started, and that's why I bring the question up. It's been 19 years. That the link has been involved. Doesn't yeah. seem like it for someone yeah. of your age and my age who went through the, oh, we need to move on from the vet. And it took so long and all the deals that had to be done to get it done. It isn't just like, okay, we're going to get a new stadium. You uh, break ground two weeks later and then it's up two and a half years later. Oh, no, there's a lot more that goes into it. So even though it seems like the link just went up 19 years ago. Even though it seems like it should be good for a long period of time. No, you're right. Everybody's looking at the new beautiful $3 billion stadiums and goes, oh, wait, why can't we have one? People don't want to come here as a free agent to the Philadelphia Eagles. We all think it's because the Eagles run the ball too much. Maybe it's because their stadium and their facilities aren't as good as some other ones. Yeah, this is a conversation we'll probably have here on Birds 365. Now, they'll go ahead and cancel us a week from now. But if, if we continue yeah, to do yeah, this for a long yeah. period of time, at well, some point, we'll, we'll it's going to actually happen. Yeah. By the way, before we go, because I know we're up against it, we got a second retirement in two days. And this one's going to interest you because it's a friend of yours, friend of the show. After 47 years, John McClain is retiring really? from the Houston Chronicle. I had him on my show this past weekend. He never said a word. Never said, oh, well, 47 years. One of the best ever. 47 years. You're kidding me. Wrote his retirement uh, thanks in the Chronicle this morning. 
Uh, so I wanted to mention that, you know, one of the best ever NFL reporters, uh, John McClain. Heck of an actor, as I said on yes. this show, too. As many uh, uh, IMDB uh, lines yeah. uh, for his uh, fill-in actor role stuff. Oh, that's like bumming me out. Like, I got to text him now as soon as the show is over and done with and say, I wish you nothing but the best, but you bastard. <laughs> How do you not say something on my show last week? Well, weekend? he probably had to keep that for the Chronicle, you know. He had to. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he couldn't help his brother out, Jody McDonald, breaking that kind of news for a chance. I love John McClain. And yes, he has been good uh, to us. And yeah, oh, by the way, it's not like John McClain's going to forget everything he ever knew about the National Football League. But damn, he had sources inside that Houston organization, which will be missed. We'll still get him on uh, from time to time. Uh, so uh, thank you for telling me that. Now I got to uh, find out more uh, details on it. So put us to work right after the show ends. Uh, partner, we've got uh, Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News to join us tomorrow because we Giants. did want to touch down on what I say. Yeah, New York Giants, Giants football. Yeah. yeah, from the New York Daily News, not to be confused with the Philadelphia Daily News. But Pat, a very good giant reporter, is going to hop aboard with us tomorrow. That should be fun. Thanks to Grant Paulson for giving us the commander update. Partner, uh, you ready to do another show tomorrow? Let's do it. And it's, you know, you're also going to get some, uh, at least five minutes of uh, WrestleMania talk. It's WrestleMania weekend, Friday. Yesterday, I, I watched uh, uh, Monday Night Raw on tape. I hadn't gotten to that yet. Then I had to watch the, uh, uh, TMT. Then, uh, man, I've been all rest. Have you watched any? I know we got to go. Any of that WWE evil stuff? Yeah, good show. Love it. Love it. John watched... Cena, executive producer. It's a good show. You should watch it. And, and he voices it, too, and he does a good job there. I watched the one on uh, uh, Kane and The Undertaker yesterday. Outstanding. Man, yeah. I learned some stuff that I didn't know. And the one on Roman Reigns was also pretty good, too, which is a good lead-up to WrestleMania. Yeah, a little WrestleMania talk tomorrow. But we'll also talk some Giants. And, hey, it's called Birds 365, so I think we'll talk about the Eagles as well in 2-2. Two and two. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com.
That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D dot com.